Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president of Inventus Partners, the top full-service turnkey product development and crowdfunding marketing agency in the world. We have helped startups raise over $100 million for our clients since 2010. Each week, I'll interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Art of the Kickstart is honored to be sponsored by Gadget Flow. The Gadget Flow is a product discovery platform that helps you discover, save, and buy awesome products. It is the ultimate buyer's guide for luxury gadgets and creative gifts. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today I am super excited because I am talking with Arman Asadi, co-founder and CEO of Evo Planner, the first personalized flow system. Arman, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks, Roy. I'm excited. Let's do it. You don't sound excited, Armand. I mean, you guys raised over a million dollars on your crowdfunding campaign. Come on. I mean, I could do a little dance for you if you want. But yes. You won't see it. Let's dance. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So you guys did a campaign uh, not too long ago uh, on Kickstarter, over 6,000 backers, $367,000 raised on it. Um, really excited to talk about, you know, where did this product start from, you know, with you and your co-founder, Chad, you know, give me an idea of what inspired you guys to create the Evo planner. Pain, honestly. And I think all entrepreneurial journeys start with pain, either seeing a pain in another person, someone you love, someone in your community or a pain in yourself and needing to scratch your own itch. So the pain for us started, um, let's say like it was it was two two different segments. One was just already being in this world of entrepreneurship, self-development, and seeing so many tools and resources and education and kind of just observing the hypocrisy <laughs> where everything was um, distributed in a way where you were told this is like the silver bullet, the answer, the number one thing that's going to help you. And I just couldn't help in the back of my mind because I'm such a sort of, I, I love philosophy. I love looking at things from a very macro level. And I just couldn't help but think to myself, like, this is BS because every single one of us is different. And what works for me may not work for you. And I just marinated on that idea for years and years. And uh, so that was one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is I used to actually be an employee. Um, I, I think I was like, okay, for the first part of it, but eventually, you know, I felt like I was stuck in a box and I was unfulfilled in what I did. And, uh, I worked my way all the way up the ladder, um, got a job at Google, thought this was like success and this is all there is. And all of a sudden I found myself kind of empty and very unfulfilled and very misaligned. So the second component of it was helping people find alignment and flow in their work. And it came from my personal pain of just being miserable <laughs> at work in what I did on a daily basis. Yeah, I think some of the best products come out of pain points, right? Solving that, that you know, scratching that itch or solving that, that problem that's in your life that likely millions of others have as well, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the process of deciding what features to include in the planner. I mean, you weren't a you know planner before. How did you guys go about creating this this product? 
Yeah. So Chad and I were working on the concepts and the framework behind uh, what is today the company Project Evo for years, actually. And, you know, it started with a methodology that helped people uh, with an assessment, really. The first thing we wanted to do was create an assessment tool very uniquely uh, the way that we wanted to position it in the marketplace. But after working on that assessment for years, we thought to ourselves, well, what is the, the entry point into the marketplace? What is a tool, a physical product that we can create? And for a long time, Chad was going to these conferences and getting these planners passed out to him. And he started thinking about like, well, what if we had a planner that was, you know, that used our framework somehow? So we got together and started looking at everything. And I was like, well, shit, this is going to be really interesting and very unique, but very challenging to essentially create a planner based on your personality. What do we do about all these SKUs? What do we do about the differentiation? Um, and then we started talking about technology as a component of it to provide data and a feedback loop. And, all, and next thing you know, it was like feature, 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 feature. And we were really sort of packing it with value. So, you know, a part of what I do is I have a very strategic mind and I had to sit down and say, what does an initial MVP of this look like? How do we make sure that people actually want this? How do we make sure that we can get real feedback from our customers and future customers? And then we really started to shape the vision of what it's become today, which is essentially you take a what we call our brain type assessment after taking the brain type assessment. And by the way, you don't have to. I think uh, some people assume that they have to take the brain type assessment. They actually don't. If you just want to look through the four different types of planners that we have and choose one, that's actually okay. Cause it's not like, again, we're not saying like, this is it. You're an alchemist for the rest of your life based on this brief assessment. Um, and then based on that, there is a planner that is designed to the way that you process information, organize information and think the way you most naturally think. And then we accompany that with an app that was insane to create um, and grueling and expensive, but absolutely well worth it because it's a valuable tool and it really differentiates us in the marketplace. Um, and that app tracks each day. So you take uh, a picture essentially of your planner page each day and you fill out your performance. And those questions are unique to you based on your planner because what it's essentially doing is it's helping you thrive based on what you and your brain type need the most. So what would you say was your biggest challenge you guys encountered when you were designing, I guess, not only the physical product, but the app as well? Oh, my God. The biggest one? Uh, there were so many, man. There were so many challenges. Um, I would say one, one thing that was a challenge but also really fun um, was going to China and actually going to our manufacturer. Um, wouldn't recommend anyone go to China right now at the time of this recording <laughs> um, with everything going on. But uh, it was a challenge because, you know, we didn't know what we were getting into. It was the first time. I've never manufactured a product before like this. And actually just getting there, going there, meeting people, having, you know, translation done for us. Thank God we had a sourcing partner um, who could handle a lot of the logistics. Um, but it was so worth it to go through that, the cost, the the effort, the challenge of it all, because when we got there, you know, it's just different when you're in person with people. And when we got there, we thought we knew what the final design of our planner was going to look like, but we went into one of the offices of our factory 
and we saw like tons of samples of material, like materials that could be used for the cover of our planner. And something just kind of made me like start pulling the books off the shelf and looking through and touching the samples. And Chad and I were just kind of sitting there doing this. And we just all of a sudden stumbled on one that we were like, whoa, this is different. This is really unique. And it sounds like such a small thing, but it's all the small things that accumulate in your product experience together that create your product experience. Like I still to this day see people say like, oh my God, I love the feel and the texture of the Evo planner. And it makes me smile because I'm like, man, you don't know what it took to get that. <laughs> you don't know what like the serendipitous moment that it that had to happen for you to have that type of material in your hands because I've, I'd never seen it before. And it took like, you know, going through a hundred of them, you know, there at the site. So that was, you know, there were so many challenges with, uh, with the planner, uh, fulfillment is, um, man, I don't know how much people curse on the show, <laughs> but it was, it was insane. And just, and it still is to this day. I, I want to actually make that clear. Like, the process of doing a crowdfunding campaign is one thing. The process of then actually creating a company that's sustainable and, you know, a true e-commerce business is an, is, is a whole other level that comes after crowdfunding that people don't talk about nearly enough um, because that's an even bigger challenge. But, you know, dealing with fulfillment, freight forwarding, shipping, getting it to your customers, understanding the nuances of how that all works. These logistics are so important. And I would say that was the biggest challenge with the planner and still continues to be. It's something that I can never develop enough expertise in. Um, and then the app is just, I mean, it's technology, man. One of the most helpful things I learned with development so far, and I've done a lot of development now, whether it be websites, I don't I actually do the development, but you know, I'm a CEO and I've done a lot of consulting as well. I've been involved in a lot of projects and Someone said to me, the 99-yard line, when you think you're at the 99-yard line, you're really at the 10-yard line of your project. The last 1% to 10% of a development sprint or project is the most difficult. That's where all the true you know, work shows up because you're there to create a final stitch-together product experience. And the QA, the, the, the details, that's where all the energy goes. And so um, that was a big challenge with the app. And the other big challenge with the app is, you know, um, product management is not simple. Like understanding how to create the critical path in an app for a user so that they're not overwhelmed by features is also a huge learning. You want to give them one thing. And again, I, I, I want this is something that probably dozens of people on your podcast have already said, right? It's like, make your product experience simple. Like, like really make it clear what it's designed to do. Don't overwhelm them with features, but like it's different in practice. So I'm telling you, if you're a listener, you've done this before, you haven't done this before. The next time you do really fight yourself and the people around you to focus on one main unique value proposition and do that one thing really freaking well like, let's just say for us, it's the scanning of the image on the planner, like our app being able to scan and transfer the data and store the data. Do that one thing really, really, really well and wow your customers. And then based on what they say 
and the overwhelming majority of them requesting the next feature build that. If I would have done it again, I would not have included at least two to three features that we included in our app up front. Yeah, I think that's incredibly insightful, Armand. I mean, you know, and I think you guys put that also into practice, kind of moving into this in terms of the marketing work that you guys did for this campaign. You know, we saw you speak at digital or we heard you speak at Digital Marketer. Can you go into a little bit in terms of the plan that you put into place for the product launch in terms of utilizing, you know, the private Facebook community to create ambassadors and then using the strategy of like a beta audience and then that $5 reservation that you guys were able to do for it to have such a massive and impactful day one on the campaign launch. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And I can give you the, the kind of the big picture. Um, I'm happy to go into details. It's so funny. I was in a, at an event this weekend and, and getting how like asked about this exact topic of like, walk me through your pre-launch. So, Hey, once this is recorded, I'll have to send it to that entrepreneur that was asking. Absolutely. <laughs> It'll be perfect. Um, so then I don't have to go through it and, and, and I'll do even a better job here. So at a high level, what I would say is do it all, do it all. Like everything you've ever heard that you should do, do it. And the reason for that is because you don't know what's going to really create momentum for you and your audience. The other aspect of it is you don't actually know what you might end up doing really well. What I mean by that is, let's just say there are many components. So some of them are, let's do some influencer marketing. Let's do some Facebook group stuff. Let's do some offline stuff, getting people offline like involved. Let's do some, like get people to reserve in advance. Let's do paid acquisition. Across the spectrum of everything that you can do, you don't know what you'll end up enjoying. And the thing that you end up enjoying often is the thing that gets results. That's one thing. The other thing is you don't know what the audience and your audience for your exact product is going to respond to best. And in this day and age where Kickstarter and Indiegogo are becoming even more challenging, you probably know a lot more about this than I do, Roy, but since we've done our campaign, I've read it's become slightly more challenging in general and, and, and the marketplace is, you know, it's, it's just more competitive. So to stand out, I'm actually curious about that. Maybe you can talk about that, but to stand out, it requires doing it all and having, think of it like an investment portfolio. You know, you don't go all in on one thing. That would be insane. You're at risk, right? You have to diversify your investing so that if one thing breaks, another thing is ready to, to be there. Like if your reservation funnel or your leads that you captured via email or your leads that you captured via Facebook Messenger, if it doesn't work on day one, you're effed. So you've got to have these other things that are that you have in your toolkit as ammunition ready to fire. So I do, we did them all. It was really hard. I'm probably overwhelming somebody when they're hearing this right now. They're like, shit, I was planning on just doing a little bit of <laughs> this and that and, and hoping that it would take off. No, no. The first thing I said on the stage at Digital Marketer, uh, this event that you mentioned, when they say, how was your campaign? You know, you guys raised all this money. I was like, it was super, super challenging. It's hard work. I'm so glad I did it. My future is now in my hands. We have all these raving fan customers, 
but I don't want people to get this misconception that like, you know, you just kind of do this and do that and make a nice video. Oh yeah. Video. That's another component. And you make a nice video and then all of a sudden Kickstarter loves you and it takes off. Uh, I did it all. I was ready to fly to meet the Kickstarter guys. You know, like I really tried to build relationship. We sent them product that just didn't seem to, to like, I, I'm really good with people and business development, but the Kickstarter folks are not helpful. I hope they're listening. <laughs> like they need to be more helpful. They need to build more relationships with their actual uh, entrepreneurs. I, I thought that was kind of like a shame that they, that they weren't more involved because Indiegogo was much more involved. They were really helpful. Um, but it's like, they're bigger. I get it. They're bigger. They're busier. I get it. But that's another thing we did. We sent product to Kickstarter, tried to get featured that way. That didn't really work. So yeah, I'm happy to break down any of these, any of these components, but I would say among the most valuable in the end, definitely without having done paid acquisition to get leads that were specifically interested in the planner, I don't think we would have been successful the way we were. That was probably the So on, on day one, you guys had over 1,300 backers and you guys did over 42K on launch day. At the conference, you had spoke about, you know, collecting like a $5 commitment pledge. What software did you guys use for this? Or, you know, talk me through the, the funnel process of what you built for that. Okay. Yeah. So... We essentially developed just a basic landing page on WordPress. And I think it was just, I think it was basically just like a Stripe checkout. And we had the landing page describe. It was very um, elusive. I might be able to pull it up. It's, it's probably gone by now, but it was a very elusive page. It was just like this new exciting planner is coming you know, get, be first in line, get the best pricing ever. And they would click, we would get any, we would know we would, we tested, we tested many ways. We tested, get the email up front, just the email. We tested, get $10 up front. We tested, get $1 up front. We tested, get $5. I think we landed on $5 because almost there was no difference between one and five. So we were like, let's just get five because they'll be more invested. And then I think it just led to like a Stripe checkout. And we got the email, obviously, because they made a purchase. And then we, that, that, that was really it. And some of these happened months and months and months in advance of the uh, campaign. And obviously, we were running this all the way up until the campaign started. So people received, like, your email marketing is really important. So we sent emails to keep them warm. We had to think a lot about content and keeping it warm. And there was from the people that joined at the very beginning, there was a, a long waiting period until we were, you know, finally ready to launch. Right. So we had to think about, we were all, it was almost like feeling like, oh, we're already in business. Like right. we got to treat this like we're a brand already. Like they're, they're, they've opted into Project Evo as a company. They want to know who is Armon? Who is Chat? What is this all about? Who's involved? How did you guys create your brain types? So we had to educate. And I thought that was really helpful. Um, I think that was really smart in the end where we continued like engaging with them. Don't let the leads become cold. Right. And then, you know, sending these pre-launch emails, once you get closer, I would say 
in my experience, you know, I've done a lot of launches. You don't want to go too far in advance because then it's just like, come on, <laughs> let's get this over with. Let's go. Right. So maybe like one week, you know, first teaser, 10 days max. And then you really want to hit it, you know, on launch day. And then essentially, I think you're, you're alluding to this, but essentially what happens is for people that don't understand the, the next component, it's, well, you get to launch day, you have these leads, they've opted in, they've put $5 down, imagine. And they don't have to, by the way, but I really do recommend it. At least it worked, it worked really well for us. So they put in $5 or let's just say it depends on the price of your product. The price of our product on it's now 45. I think on Kickstarter, it was like 30, 35. I can't quite remember. So, you know, they're essentially doing a down payment when the day, when the, when the launch happens, you send an email to these people and you say, when this goes live, go to this special product listing on Kickstarter. That's just for you and pay the remainder of your, I believe it was $20. So 25, they were getting the best price ever. So pay the remainder of your $20 to Kickstarter and you will be first in line. And then we had other packages for them, like a four pack and special things like that. But that was the needle mover on day one. I think we hit our funding goal in 27 minutes because of that. So it was stoked. Really, really cool. So in terms of segmentation, and we talk about email marketing, you know, so for the folks that were pledging a dollar, five or 10, did you separately segment those folks out in terms of, hey, this is what your $10 is going towards? Or was that audience all kind of grouped into one upon launch day where they all got the early bird special messaging? I think they all got the early bird special messaging. And I believe it was just something on the back end that allowed them to select the proper amount that they owed. So in terms of, you know, on launch day, super successful, hitting your funding goal ridiculously flip fast with 1300 backers confirmed on day one, I'm assuming you guys had pre-campaign commitments in the tens of thousands. Yeah. Um, so we had, I wish I remember how many leads We have a lot of leads now, but I would, yeah, I need to know that. I would say it was probably 20, maybe like 20,000 lead. No, that sounds like too much. But yeah, it, it, it had to be up there. It had to be up there. But it wasn't so much about the leads as it was about the, the number of reservations. Right. Honestly, I, I remember we were like, these leads are nice and all, but what en actually ended up being the most useful was the reservation people. And the leads were good because um, many of them still throughout the campaign did eventually end up buying. But some of those people, like, they're just not ready. They ended up buying months later on Kickstarter, on, on Indiegogo. So it still was valuable to, to do the lead gen. But I think the reservation piece is what gets people the most committed on day one. And these days, I mean, man, there are so many. I was thinking about this a lot recently. I was like... I think if I was going to do it over again, I would probably build a text message list. I would build an SMS list because I'm doing that right now for my personal brand. I just started doing that on Instagram and it is fire. It's incredible. Um, so there's always, this whole world is changing. And then, oh, and then a lot of those people that we had were from Facebook Messenger. So they weren't just email, Roy. They were also Facebook Messenger people. 
So those people, that that was really valuable because especially at, you know, with Facebook Messenger kind of similar to text, the open rate is so much higher. You know, you'd be lucky if you have a huge email list and get 10% open rate. You'd be very lucky. Like that's a good, that's a good ratio. Um, I think at that point we were getting like a 25%, 30% open rate. But still with Facebook Messenger, you're getting people like very high open rate, above 80%, much higher, maybe 10x the click-through rate of what you get on email. And with text, it's 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 even higher. It's even higher. Yeah, it's a guaranteed open rate. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk to me a little bit then about the the private Facebook community that you guys used and made to create, you know, the brand ambassadors. I'm assuming the funnel system kind of flowed into there so all these folks could kind of communicate together and talk about themselves or entrepreneurs yeah. or habits that they have they're trying to work on. That That's an example of having like in the interim between starting the the lead gen and the excitement for the campaign and launching that's an example of like what i meant by building the the business building the brand building the community like it was all these things so it was you know yes it was the reservation funnel yes it was getting facebook messenger people but it was also even a lot of them that purchased were just from that facebook group that you're mentioning because those people were really engaged and in love with their brain types and each other and the brand and us so yeah, we we just you know we built a Facebook group where we didn't let everyone in. We we required them to answer like questions, and we positioned it as this is a very special, very private group where we're gonna have open, vulnerable conversations. And our Facebook group is amazing. It still is to this day. It's incredible the things that people post. God, I mean, so so yeah, you just see such depth of hu- humanity in there. And that really did build like brand ambassadors and people that were really excited to promote the brand. So there was another aspect of organic growth that is impossible to measure, you know, like so many people talk to each other about their Evo planner all the time. Like I hear it all the time. Um, And especially because of the component of that they're different. Like, what are you? I'm an alchemist, you know, and people want to find out. So if there's a way people can differentiate or create some form of personalization, I really believe in that. I see a lot of companies doing that. I think we were kind of, you know, uh, uh, early. I think it is still wide open. And I do believe that from a fundamental level, like I said, you know, the, the problem that I was scratching, the itch that I was scratching in the beginning, personalization is, is what I, per, you know, I really believe in that. I think that products, services need to be personalized to the end user for them to actually work. And I think that's what people want. They want to be seen and heard. So yeah, all that stuff really helped. Absolutely. So earlier we were talking about, you know, like diversification of your marketing and getting your message out there. I guess, you know, instead of just putting all of your eggs into the Facebook ad bucket, which pretty much every six figure campaign kind of has to, what were some of the other stokes in the fire, if you will, that you guys put into pre-launch to either make it more personal to folks or getting folks more excited about the launch coming up? Um, sending people planners, getting it in the hands of influencers. I'd been fortunate enough to have developed a lot of great relationships with some amazing influencers. So, you know, getting various people to 
to tweet, to share, to talk to their audience, to email their list. You know, I also come from a background of, like I said, having done a lot of these product launches, whether it be a SaaS product or information product course or uh, e-commerce. And so I've seen, you know, um, what creates success there. And I was able to just kind of like between myself and Chad, just get the planner in people's hands as early as possible so that on day one, part of our strategy was, you know, or the, I think right the day before we'd hit them up and say, hey, we're going live tomorrow. Like, do what you can support us. You know, it would mean the world. And that, that again, very hard to measure, very hard to measure. Like, how would I ever know the impact of Neil Patel's tweet? I, I just don't. I didn't use a tracking link. He's just a friend. I wasn't going to complicate it for him. <laughs> you know, it's just like, thanks. Appreciate it. So various things like that, or just also, I wouldn't underestimate the impact of like influencers in the sense of, you know, it doesn't have to be this like big brand name, this big household name. There's a lot of people that are just very influential in their communities. And we, and we also are friends with a lot of those people. And I think that that's really valuable as well. Like who are the people that are evangelists for things that they believe in, you know, get it into their hands because they'll talk about it. They'll share it. If they're a coach, if they're a consultant, if they're a community leader, getting it into that person's hands. Like another thing we thought a lot about was like, who are the people that are networks in and of themselves? Like someone who leads a, a community of coaches or consultants. And then you think about your end user. Well, for us, entrepreneurs are a segment of our audience for sure. You know, high performers. It's really the the umbrella at a big picture is self-development, right? But people that are into personal development, but it's entrepreneurs, it's creatives, it's, it's, and, and it's a, and, and another segment of it is people that just want a beautiful planner. Like a lot of our customers, actually the majority are women, um, whether they're entrepreneurs or not, but they just need and love planners. So identifying who those people are and getting it into the hands of the people that have a voice in those communities. So we did a lot of that. So much so that I literally can't remember. Like, I mean, we must have given out hundreds of planners, you know, um, to anyone that we could. Nice. So digressing a little after let's just jump to the end after the kickstarter campaign ended you had mentioned migrating your campaign over to indiegogo in demand and you guys have pretty much crushed it over there raising another 650k ish talk to me about mm -hmm. the process of why you guys decided to go that route and what was the process like in terms of staying in demand for so long until you guys were ready to ship the product Mm -hmm. So I think we shipped product in June. We did our Kickstarter in, in January. We were shooting for like April, I believe, April or May. It took until June, just like it does for everybody. <laughs> you know, it's like, and it's so funny because we were so confident in our ability to, another thing about us is, you know, we weren't waiting for the money from Kickstarter to go manufacture we were already manufacturing. We were already prototyping. We were doing all that stuff. And that's something that I, I, I believe gets talked about a lot, but I just want to remind people, it's like most of the big campaigns, if you're going big, like having some investment to first go and get a small batch made and know that you're ready to go is very important. Um, otherwise, people don't want to wait a year or, or you know that long. Um, it just frustrates them, obviously. So I think our first product arrived into the hands of people by June and where we 
overestimated was, you know, I thought, okay, by April, May, like it's on, you know, it's in their hands, but you got to add in the time. It was the first experience. Oh, the boat. Oh, the warehouse. Oh, when Amazon receives it for the first time, they need a whole month because it's their first time and they don't know what they're doing and it has to have the right labels and all these things happen that you just can't predict, unfortunately. So once we actually got it in their hands, I think wave one was like in, in May or June. And then the second one was immediately after, I want to say July. But when we transitioned over to Indiegogo, the reason for that was, well, it was just kind of a seamless transition. You can essentially take everything that's on Kickstarter and just hit copy paste and move it over. Price has to go up a little bit, I believe, and all of that, but so that you're giving Kickstarter the best deal. But it was a way, I think of it as like an interim e-commerce solution. So once we transitioned over to Indiegogo, we uh, began building our e-commerce. Okay, what do we want to do? I think we want to do Shopify for the planner. Well, what else do we want to include in this company, in this business? What is the future of this business? So it gave us a little bit of time to sit down and strategize about that component I was mentioning earlier about you got to think about the type of company you actually want to build after the crowdfunding you know, phase. But what ended up happening, Roy, is like, you know, our ads were converting. Our campaigns were converting. The virality of the planner was taking off. And so there wasn't, we didn't see a good reason to switch things off because it was still working. And we got to a point with Indiegogo where we were really treating it like e-commerce. I don't remember what what month, but it was mm, probably, I think, when we were fully in stock was like, yeah, August, September or something like that. And if someone bought on Indiegogo, they were receiving their planner two days later. So it was as if we were on Shopify. It was the same thing. And I believe we started testing on our Shopify versus Indiegogo and just saw that at that point, there was something about Indiegogo that was still working. So we just treated it like an e-commerce platform for a while. Obviously, one of the pains of it is they take a huge chunk of uh, fees. But, uh, oh, I do remember this. I pretty much like strong-armed Indiegogo. I was like, look, I'm ready to turn this off and go to Shopify unless you keep promoting. <laughs> you know, And this is what I was saying earlier about them being cool about helping their entrepreneurs. So something like every two weeks, they were featuring us in their, in their emails and in their newsletter, in their number one spot, number two spot, number three spot. And then we'd see a 10K pop, 20K pop just from that. So I was like, well... I'd be losing that if we go off, you know, Indiegogo. So that was really nice. And uh, I recommend everybody do that. Get in touch with your campaign manager and ask. Be like, either pay for a spot or say, look at my performance. Look at how we're doing. Promote us, you know, not as direct as that, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Solid. Audience, thanks again for tuning in. I know you loved this episode as much as I did. Make sure to check out artofthekickstart.com for the notes, the transcript, links to everything we talked about today. And of course, thank you to our crowdfunding podcast sponsors, The Gadget Flow and Product Hype. Armand, thank you so much for being on the show today, man. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, awesome. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us all about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes, our Kickstarter guide to crushing it. And of course, if you love this episode a lot, 
leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes. It helps more inventors, entrepreneurs, and startups find this show and helps us get better guests to help you build a better business. If you need more hands-on crowdfunding strategy advice, please feel free to request a quote on inventuspartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week.